writing music. God has given us some spiritual moms and dads, some spiritual fathers and mothers. We have one on this campus in uh, our worship leader, uh, Jeff Dio, that has been a blessing for almost a decade here, I think eight or nine years. Jeff's new nationally published book through Destiny is, is being released today around the country. And it is, we've seen some copies floating around here. Uh, this book is phenomenal. Most of us don't read books on worship because we worship. But I want to encourage you to take time. First of all, I think there's a bunch of copies for five bucks for the students out in the lobby today for five bucks. That is just like, just today. That's just like the cost of the book. It's out there. But man, be putting this on your Instagram, everything. You can show it today, spread it around on social media, let people know about this. But Jeff, we are mega proud as a campus community for what you have done. We love you. <laughs> Phenomenal right there. Today's the day. Get your copy and everybody put it on their social media. It's great stuff. Our speaker today has introduced me three times. Uh, his, and I haven't had a chance to introduce him, so I was just going to come up and say, ladies and gentlemen, Bill Tibbetts. Um, but I do want to say this. Uh, Bill's become a friend uh, and is a, uh, a kingdom gift to our university. Uh, he is a builder. He's an entrepreneur. Uh, he loves the Lord. He's a father, husband, and he's a friend of students. And he cultivates uh, dreams and visions inside the hearts of young entrepreneurs and always keeping them kingdom-centered. Uh, the person who's the dean of our College of Business and Technology is a Christian. Not a lot of colleges can say that. Christian colleges can say that. We have a on-fire dean um, of our College of Business and Technology. It's the fastest-growing business school in all of our AG schools. This thing is a rocket ship, and it's under his leadership. Let's welcome Bill Tibbetts. Oh, geez. All right, let's go. <laughs> let's do this. All right, so I got a little nervous because you were talking about a middle-aged 40-year-old something guy with a beer gut. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, what, what kind of introduction is that? This is all pizza. There ain't no beer in here. All right. Gut, yes. Beer, no. All right. So uh, if you were here uh, yesterday, please tell me you were here. Did you hear just an amazing, amazing worship and sermon from Dr. Leibengood? She was talking about uh, the economy, and I passionately agree with everything you said about the economy. Because economy, eco, or uh, 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 what is it in Greek? It's a koios, a koios. Am I saying that right? I'm looking at you. A koios, something like that. Yeah. It's this idea of both neighbor and house, neighbor and home. There's no distinction between other people's houses and your house. It's actually one. And so when we think of the economy, the economy of Christ, as we take care of our house, we should be taking care of other people's places as well, right? And let me tell you, there is, there is no, there's not an equilibrium out there. We're not equal out there. So we need to be thinking about how we be taking stuff out of our apartments, out of our rooms, and out of our houses, and taking care of those people that are in Tent City just a couple miles away. All right. 
So I'm going to go just a little bit quicker today uh, uh, to get everything in that I would like to get in. So uh, I apologize ahead of time for the speed. Uh, But this summer, uh, my setup is a little bit longer than normal. But this summer, I had what I call a watchtower moment. And I know we've all had this moments or these moments in our life. It's when you kind of, the Lord kind of elevates you kind of above the tree line, you know, that you've been in the forest for a while, but he elevates you above the tree line. And you get to kind of look at the journey that you've been on, and you get to say, Lord, thank you. You celebrate it. You see a lot of uh, places where the Lord met you. you can over, you've overcome some challenges. But then you also get to look into the future, and you're just filled with hope. You know, you're like, yes, I know where I'm going. And then what happens? Drops you back down into the forest, and he says, now go, all right? So for me, the thing that ignited that kind of watchtower moment for me was a, was a reunion that happened uh, in early, in early uh, August. You see, when I was 16 years old, uh, two amazing people had the courage to invite me to follow Christ. And they had the faithfulness to disciple me and mentor me for several years afterwards. Uh, and it was awesome. And uh, the cool thing was is that uh, not only did I accept Christ, but all my friends accepted Christ as well. And we have been very, very close for the last 27 years. We have been remained very, very good friends. Well, this summer, we all came back together from all around the world. We had the largest reunion possible. We brought our families in, and there was over 50 people there. And for three days, we laughed, we cried, we hugged, and we just did life. And I just, I just want to show you just a couple pictures uh, real quickly of, of some people. So here on the left, that is Susie and Jonathan Weibel. They are the ones who invited me to know Christ. And I write them a letter every November 22nd, every year for the last 27 years, just thanking them for just having the courage to ask some kid if he wanted more in his life, right? In the, in the middle are my two best buds. This is Brian Harlow. Some of you know him as Professor Harlow because he is teaching an adjunct class right now uh, this fall for us, and that just blows my mind. We've been friends since we were 13 years old. And then to the right is Mike Sandbrink. We've been friends since we were nine years old. Um, it's just been a lifetime of memories. And then to the right is, it's kind of hard to see, but it's the little country church where we all accepted Christ. Well, we infiltrated the church that Sunday morning, 50 of us, which means that the church was packed out, right? Anyone else, like, grow up like country bumpkin church, like pews, the whole thing, right? They all kind of look the same in some ways, right? Um, and it was awesome to take my family there. And it was so funny because, you know, seeing these people, it's funny because they're, they're the two people this kind of happened to were right there on the right-hand side in the purple and lavender shirt. But um, they're like the same people who were there when I was 16 are still there, you know? And I kind of had this kind of out-of-body experience where my mind and my body just kind of separated. It was just so surreal. And I'm walking in, and I'm like, oh, BK, you're still alive? I'm like... Oh, 
give me a hug, you know? And I'm like, what did I just ask this guy if he was still alive? And I went to the next guy, John, you're still alive. Oh, no, I'm like, yeah, of course you're alive, you know, and hugging these people. It was just beautiful and just awesome. And that's Jonathan. He preached that day. And it was so surreal to take my kids in there and be like, Ada, Graham, right here, right this spot is where I accepted Christ. This is the carpet I sat on. And this is where someone asked me if I wanted more for my life. The piano to the left walked them over there and be like, this is where we used to stay on Sunday nights for three hours just worshiping the Lord. Here's the baptismal that we used to fill with water and swim in, right? <laughs> to the right by the stairs is where I made out with Aaron, you know, on the... <laughs> and he was like, Daddy! I'm like, look, it was a different time. <laughs> right? It was powerful. It was a powerful time. Uh, well, not, yeah, well, okay, that was powerful, too, because when you're 16, you're like, yeah, uh, it was both powerful. Uh, let's just be real, all right? But what was amazing, <laughs> what was amazing, what was amazing is that when you go through something like that, just a lot of memories and a lot of stories, right, come up, and, and the stories are all inflated now, you know, and, and, and they're, they're like, it's almost so inflated that they're not real anymore. But you, you have these memories. And I was laying in bed uh, that Monday night just thinking through kind of the time frame between like 16 and, and 22. And that was one of the most spiritually uh, prolific, profound moments in my life. And I want to share that with you today. When I was uh, younger, I, I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew that I was going to be a journalist, Right? I knew I wanted to be a part of that world because back in the day, in the 80s and 90s, journalists were different than who they are today. They're almost, they're almost kind of superheroes in some way. And I wanted to study business. I wanted to study politics. And I just kind of wanted to explore that space and, and take readers with me. And, and I, I, I did that. I studied it in college. And when I graduated, I landed my dream job. My dream job was uh, with the Cincinnati Enquirer. Now, eventually, at some point, I wanted to get out to the Washington Post and be with uh, where Bob Woodward and uh, uh, Woodward and who? Wood Bernstein, Bernstein. Woodward and Bernstein were at. But uh, prior to that, I got my dream job, Cincinnati Enquirer. And I actually took a picture. Uh, this was my very first day uh, on the job. This is the lobby of the Cincinnati Enquirer. It is beautiful. It's in one of the oldest buildings uh, in Cincinnati. And you walk, and let me say this, before I walked in, I stood outside and I looked up at this very tall building and I swear to high heaven, I saw Superman uh, on top of it. Uh, he had my face, but it was still Superman because um, I was ready to be Clark Kent, right? I was ready to go in there. And I took this picture and, and I've held on to this picture uh, for a long time. So that was my dream job. Unfortunately, though, within about six months, within about six months, I had left my job. Uh, it was the thing I had thought I was going to do for the rest of my life. It was the thing I talked about all the time. It was the thing that, I don't know, it was the thing that when you sit and daydream, this is what the future was going to be about. Um, and I left. And had I not left, honestly, I probably would have been fired. And it was because of this. I had lost a ton of motivation because I was having a spiritual conflict inside of me. And this is what I couldn't resolve. I couldn't resolve why God cared that I was a journalist. I couldn't resolve why being a journalist had anything to do with the kingdom. And by, the, by six months, my heart was so 
torn up that I just had to get out of the situation and think through. And I ended up going to a nonprofit, a non-Christian nonprofit, because clearly that's God's work, right? Christian nonprofit, clearly God's work. Nothing wrong with that. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about uh, that, that question, that statement. I couldn't understand why working in a newspaper had any kingdom impact. I've heard students, I've heard adults. I had a 60-year-old guy just this summer, I think he was 61 maybe, just this summer crying in front of me, teary eyes I should say, because he didn't understand what the last 40 years of work meant for him in the kingdom. All right? And we're going to talk about that today because this idea of I couldn't understand why working at a newspaper had any kingdom impact. Take out newspaper and put in any word. I can't understand why working as a barista has any kingdom impact. I can't understand why working as a, I don't know, marketing director has any kingdom impact. I can't understand why working as uh, a fitness instructor has any kingdom impact. So what I did was I decided to leave. I decided to leave and go on my own journey. And at the time, there was no Google. So I could not just jump in and be like, faith and work, what does it say? You know, I had to dig. I had one primary resource, the freaking Bible, right? And, and, you know, so I, I dug into the word. I found myself uh, some incredibly smart people um, uh, on the subject. And there were a few other books, but there wasn't a ton of literature on the time, at the time, about it. Uh, when I started digging into the word, I discovered that I had four, I had adopted four myths or four lies, I would say. Four myths or four lies. And we're going to talk about those four lies today. Now, before I do that, I want to say this. I have zero intention of bringing down anything else to make it, make these other, this other space feel better. Today, what I'm doing is I'm just elevating marketplace right, to its rightful position theologically. That's all I'm doing, all right? I'll say it again. I'm not tearing down anything. I'm just elevating marketplace uh, uh, life uh, to its proper place in theology. So with that in mind, here are the four myths that I, uh, that I, I discovered as 22 that I had. I believed that God is more interested in the soul than in the body or the mind, all right? I hear it all the time. Two, to live a radical, sold-out life for Christ means that I need to sell everything and move somewhere. Now, it can mean that. It can definitely mean that, but it doesn't solely mean that. Three, life is divided into two categories, the sacred and the secular. And four, because of the nature of their work, ministers, other clergy are more important to God's program than the laity. I was recognizing that I had adopted this idea that I was a second-class citizen to the kingdom because of my work in the marketplace. So let's go through each one of those, and then I'm going to tell you what the truth is, all right? Now, for some of you, this is going to be a rewiring of some, some, some theology. Some of you may feel some tension in what I'm about to share. Either one of those, it's fine. Come talk to me. Any one of the uh, faculty, staff, we'd be more than happy to walk you through some of this stuff. But also, this is just an introduction. This is just poking poking some thoughts out there, putting some thoughts out there, um, and, and you could go years on any one of these subjects. Okay, so the first one is, God is more interested in the soul than in the body or mind. Let's say this. That's a lie. That's not, that's not a truth. So let's say I had a pitcher of water right here, and I sat this pitcher of water, and did you guys grow up with Kool-Aid? 
Yeah, did you really? Oh, I didn't, is it still around? Like, we were like Kool-Aid kids, right? I mean, like, hook an IV up, and we're ready to go, especially Indiana, right? Indiana, yeah, we were like, I mean, a couple IVs, you know, just stuck it up the nose too, right? All right, so give me a pitcher of water, and let's say I took the red Kool-Aid patch, all right? Right? Put, pour the red Kool-Aid into, or the red pouch into the, into the Kool-Aid. What color would the water be? Red. All right, okay. Let's say I take that same red Kool-Aid. Now I'm going to put a purple patch. Grape. Pour in grape. What color is it going to be now? Brownish, darkish, weird color. Now what if I got orange and put orange now into that? Well, like some dark color, right? Okay. And I go over to Dr. Graham... And I say, Dr. Graham, I would like you to take out the red Kool-Aid now. Can, you, can he take out the red Kool-Aid? No, he cannot. The soul, the mind, the body, they're intertwined like three Kool-Aids in the water, right? They are not separated. They are not separated. So whatever we do... Whatever we do for the body, for the mind, impacts the soul. Whatever we do for the soul impacts the body and mind. All those things, it's intertwined. It's like trying to take Kool-Aid out. You cannot do it. God did not design us to be that way. God did not design us to be that way. The truth is, Genesis 2-7, God created man as one unit. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. First Thessalonians 5. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. What again? Your whole spirit, soul, and body. Not just your soul to be blameless. Your whole soul, your whole body, and spirit to be blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. We were made as one unit. Body, soul, mind. One. So whatever I do for the body impacts the soul and mind. Let me say this. I'm just going to take a little step here. My fatness, my fatness negatively impacts my mind and negatively impacts my spirit. Period. It absolutely does. Because we are connected. We are designed as one unit. Bottom line. Who here has, when you get tired, when you get tired, and you're like, ah, Jesus, why have you left me? <sighs> Elijah, right? Wasn't Elijah? Right? In the desert, right? He's like, Lord, take me. He just had like the craziest spiritual moment ever, right? Thunder, lightning, burn, right? Next paragraph, I want to die. Dude, go sleep. What did the Lord, what did God do? Ah, what did God do? What did God do? Did God do like, let me pump you up with some spiritual love? No! He gave him food and water. <laughs> Amen. He's good. Well, then he sucked again. He's like, I need the more. All right. <laughs> Why? Because we're all, it's connected. The body, the soul, and the mind. It's all connected. All right. So as you're out there, as we're out there doing our thing, whatever we're doing in our job that impacts the body is kingdom freaking work. Whatever you're doing that impacts the soul is kingdom freaking work, right? All the way through, all the way through. All right, got to watch my time. All right, two, 
Ah, oh, never mind, I got visual. Soul plus body plus mind equals that, yes. Thank you for translating. Whatever that is, okay? Whatever that is, whatever that is. All right, it's all one, it's all one. Let's not separate them. So two, to live a radical sold out life for Christ means that I need to sell everything to move somewhere. Let me say this, it can absolutely 100% mean that. Yes, it can mean that, but it doesn't only mean that, all right? So I remember just a few years ago sitting in the back corner and there was this wonderful missionary family. I love them. I know who they, I know them. I know them well. I know their kids. And she came to testify of how they got to the mission field in Guatemala. And she gets up here and she was an accountant and she was talking, talking, sharing this amazing testimony. And then she said, she used language like this. I decided I want to live fully for God. Therefore, within three months, we sold everything. And I picked up the kids and my husband. We prayed through things and we moved. All right? Who here has heard a similar message at some point in your Christian walk? Right? Well, what happens when you're an immature Christian kid and you're like, what's a f- I mean, does that mean I don't freaking love Jesus radically? Like, because I'm, I'm going to go be a journalist or I'm going to go be a, 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 a coordinator for a senator in Washington, D.C., or a teacher or a psychologist or an actor. After that, after that sermon, I had a student come to my office just broken, confused, not understanding what they were doing, what they wanted to do in the future was kingdom bound. Okay. Okay, we, language matters, and we got to be better at our language. we got to be better at our language. Because let me tell you what it means scripturally to live out a radical life for Christ. This is the truth. To live a radical sold-out life for Christ means to be freaking sanctified. First Thessalonians 4, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Can you be and live a sanctified life as an accountant, heck to the yes. Can you live a sanctified life as a pastor? Yes, you can. Can you live a sanctified life as a fashion designer? Yes. I don't think Jesus even cares where we do it or how we do it as long as we live a sanctified freaking life, right? Find it in scriptures. Find it in scripture. I don't think the career matters. I think what matters is that wherever we're at, however old we are, we're black, white, male, female, old, young, marketing director, pastor, missionary, are you living a sanctified life? Are you set apart for his purpose? Let me say this. Can you live an unsanctified life as a marketing director? Yep. Can you live an unsanctified life as a psychologist? Yep. Can you live an unsanctified life as a pastor? Yep. I don't think it's about the career. I don't think it's about how and what we do. I think it's that we live a sanctified life for him. Whatever, whatever, with whatever is in front of us, period. All right, three. Life is divided into two categories. Life is divided into two categories, the sacred and the secular. Uh, I hear this all the time, all the time. Uh, my job is to... Uh, Give money to the church and support those who are doing ministry. You know, what? <laughs> so what you're doing is not ministry. My wife, just this week, she is a children's pastor at our church. And 
she had someone come in uh, who was going to do some work on the new building, and she's going to, uh, I want to give it away because I, I don't want her to feel embarrassed, but she's going to do some things in, in the nursery. And uh, my wife was like, hey, you're like really busy. You own three businesses. You have two kids. You have a husband. You're, you're like really, really busy, probably working 60, 70 hours. And this, uh, this woman said to my wife, uh, there's always time to do work uh, for Jesus, right? And my wife's like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> Just to understand you, you know everything that you do is for the Lord, not just the stuff that you do at, at church, right? We live in this bivocated mentality, a lot of us do. Sacred stuff, church, chapel, Bible studies, all this stuff. Secular stuff, go to class, uh, work, whatever, you know? It doesn't exist like that scripturally. That is not proper theology. There is no sacred secular divide. Why? Because he created all things, He created all things for him, all right? There is no sacred, there is no secular. I love, uh, and I know this is is proper because Dr. Alan Tennyson said it was very good theology. Uh, (laughs) Colossians 1.16, I'm looking at you, Al. All right, Colossians 1.16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. I love the statement. At any moment, no matter what we're doing, we're either relating to God, either properly or improperly. Let me say this. It should not be about sacred and secular, but about sin or righteousness. Period. There's no secular work. There's no sacred work. It is all the Lord's. It is whether or not you're responding to it in a sinful way or in a righteous way. All right? And let me tell you, I can give you a little hint. Those of us who live in this kind of bivocated mentality, well, let me say, ah, there's so much to say. Worship, (laughs) right? We come in here and worship, and then we walk out there and stop worshiping. That's just kind of by kind of this bivocated, broken mentality, half and half, right? If you have a, those who have a bivocated mentality often have secret sin, just to be honest, my own life, I ain't pointing finger, I'm pointing myself. In my own life or in other people's lives, I've seen it all the time. When you live that kind of bivocation, this kind of sacred life and a secular life, there tends to be a lot of secret sin. Fourth, because of the nature of the work, ministers and other clergy are imp- uh, more important, keyword more, important to God's program than the laity. Let me say this again. I'm not bringing anyone down. I'm not bringing up pastors. I'm not bringing missionaries down whatsoever. I'm just elevating everyone else up. But this is what we're taught often, whether uh, intentionally and unintentionally, I should say, that pastors and missionaries, they're doing the work of the Lord. Amen, right? And they're they're the only ones doing all the work for the Lord uh, because they deal with the soul. Uh, Behind that would be the helping professions, doctors, teachers, psychologists, because they're dealing with internal stuff. The rest of us land on that bottom tier, laborers, right? Because we're not dealing with either the soul or the mind or the body or whatever else, right? This is what happens. It's easy to adopt this mentality. When you hear the language that we often hear in chapels and, and, and not chapels, I would say, but in church services growing up. Right? Who do we bring to the platform every single month? A missionary. And rightly so, and we should. Right? 
I am waiting, I am waiting, I am waiting for the freaking day that we get someone like Greg from Pioneer who's been doing it for 20 years and who wakes up at 4.30 every single morning and goes to, leaves at 6.30, business with his family for two hours and then does it all over again, right? All over again. Can we bring those individuals up and pray for them and bless them, right? Can we do that with the CEOs, the executives, the teachers, everyone? All right, 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. I'll say this again. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. There is no distinction on career there. Not one. You are a royal priesthood to carry the mantle of God's truth wherever you go right? You are a royal priesthood. It doesn't matter the career. It matters that you're living a righteous life for Christ, and you recognize that uh, you are here to sanctify the world back to him. All right. I'm doing good on time. 1149. All right. So the title of this message was, what am I called to do? I hear it a lot. As professors, hear it a lot. That statement, what am I called to do? I think if you dive into these four myths just a little bit more, Right? And try to understand them theologically and allow them to kind of seep into your brain and seep into your heart and seep into your soul. All right? I think you stop asking this question. I think you stop asking this question. I think it's an improper question. In fact, whenever I hear someone ask this question, what's the first thing that someone often says to them? What are you passionate about? I think, literally, I think that question may be one of the most destructive questions that is asked, being asked in the last 20 years. What are you passionate about? Well, clearly God's put stuff in your heart, and that's what you should be doing. Let me, let me, did God call a whole lot of people to do a whole lot of things in the Bible that they did not want to do, that they were not passionate about, right? God called a whole lot of people to do a whole lot of things that they were not passionate about, I think when you adopt these four new truths, this is the question that often I think people should start asking. Where is there a need and how can I help? I think that's what we ask when we think about our future. Our future is not about this, uh, I don't know, this kind of mysterious door. If I find this one door, right, and all, all my life will make sense. Nope. You just live righteously where God has you right here and right now, and you'll start asking this question. Let's have the worship team come up. Whoever the worship. Oh, there you guys are. All right. One, thank you for allowing me to share today. Dr. Graham, thank you for allowing me to share today. I think there are people who, uh, who need to be prayed for over this. There are people who are questioning, like, okay, hey, I was going to go be an actor, and I have questioned, does God even care about this? Or I was going to go be, uh, own a gym, struggling to understand if God even cares about this. Whatever it is, if that is you, we want to have a space and a time for you to be prayed over so that maybe some of the lies and the cobwebs can be shaken off and some of the truth can penetrate your soul. If you want to talk more about this, there are a lot of people who would love to talk with you about this. All right. I'm going to pray for us. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for this opportunity just to share, share your truth, Lord. Thank you for this moment, Lord, that your truth can penetrate our hearts and our spirits. 
Because, Father, it is, it's just not about a career. It's about just being obedient with wherever we're at. You know, wherever we're at, Lord, may we just say, Lord, what is it that you want right now, right here? You tell us, Lord, you tell us, Lord, to obey you is to love you. Lord, you tell us to obey you is to love you. To love you is to obey you. Lord, help us love you. Help us obey you, Father, with wherever we're at. Speak to us, Lord. Empower us, empower us to go into the future boldly knowing that you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen.